Welcome back to Core Ideas, the podcast interested in all things related to lake sediments and paleolimnology. My name is Adam Jaziorski, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Josh Steenpond. Good evening. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a while since we... Uh, we always say that, and it's it's been an even oh, yeah, longer while. Yeah, it's, it's the time is growing. Although fall grant season is busy, and so it was unavoidable. It is. Scholarship applications, things we've been talking about. It actually fits quite nicely into the last couple of episodes of this arc. Uh, but for those who either are new to the show, which seems unlikely, or <laughs> more likely haven't heard us in a few months, weeks, remind the good people out there what what we're talking about and and why our recent uh preoccupations have uh, kept us from the podcast yeah we don't just talk the talk we walk the walk and in today's episode number 54 for those keeping count uh we continue the money 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 arc with another look at research finances uh this time uh from the perspective of the university the institution itself um, so in the past, we looked at it from the student perspective. Last time we looked at it from the individual professor or research lab perspective. Now we're scaling it up uh, to the institution uh, level. Uh, we're definitely not experts in this area, um, but are you know done a little research on the side, just looking at some annual reports um, and trying to look at the various funding streams that you know come into and finance the elite institutions of this world. Exactly. Uh, I think, I, I'm not sure if it's it's accurate to say no professor or student or person like that is an expert in these things. I'm sure there are people who either have a, a predilection for these kind of things. They like, they're interested in finances and, and maybe it's tied to their research. But I learned a lot thinking about what it, you know, thinking about this episode and what goes into uh, running a university, how big they are, how much money we're talking about, what the different streams are. I, I just didn't really think that much about it, really, which is kind of funny considering it, it <laughs> is an overarching thing about your everyday activities. So, Yeah, but I agree in the same way. I think it was less, it wasn't much in the way of revelations, but it was just, oh, you know, I never thought about that or... Um, and you know, they're just there in many ways. It's like, you don't need to know how a TV works to watch TV. And, yeah. um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of depth beneath the surface. And then I guess, you know, even a smaller, uh, institution like Queens has a lot of individual research labs and there's a lot of cogs in the machine. And the machines can get quite large. Yeah. And you start as an undergraduate in this system. You know, you, you get onto the ladder and you climb up the different rungs of the ladder. We don't really think about the ladder itself. Like it's just always a feature of the space that you're in and, and not that much about who pays to fix it. So I guess the place to start this conversation is first, you know, we kind of, so the latter is always there, but we still need to define what we mean by university. Yep. And, and college. Uh, oh, do uh, maybe we'll get into that, I guess, because it, it is sort of part of this system, right? We, th we can think about that a little bit. What is the definition of a university? Uh, well, I guess there's lots of different ones. And I think one that really jumped out at me when we were looking this up, and I, who, who was it by? 
Shelby Foote uh, has a quote of, a university is just a group of buildings gathered around a library. Historically, that makes sense. You know, imagine the paintings of the great libraries of of all of the old university institutions, Oxford, uh, Cambridge, uh, your universities in uh, Italy, like some of the the ancient universities there. What you're you're probably going to see in a picture of those, if you Google that institution, is their library. Is looking down through the stacks of the books. Didn't I see a thing that one of the libraries is is the image for the Jedi Temple in um, the the <laughs> remake of the Star Wars? Like they got sued because they just copied a photo of Ox. I think it's Oxford's library. Really? I this is news to me. Yeah, I no you idea. can. I, I maybe it's just something I saw on Instagram that was complete bull but uh but you know the idea is is sound right it, it's this housing of knowledge uh, it's this uh, vessel to to store all of this information um but interestingly I, you know the library as the centerpiece of the university is probably an idea that is now diminishing mm-hmm. and as especially uh in the era of the pdf and uh, online resources so maybe a more practical definition rather than a romantic one would be an institution of higher learning that grants degrees. I think that's pretty fair. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, like it obviously is a, a Latin origin word, right? Uh, I looked it up. You did. Oh, my goodness. I, so, I'm prepared. Um, fluent in Latin? You are. Not really. Great. No. No, um, but the word university itself is derived from the Latin phrase universitas magistrorum and scholarium, which roughly means a community of teachers and scholars. Oh, so there you go. So that's interesting. And so I that's think that's about is people. Like a, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's people focused rather than building focused or knowledge focused, which is kind of uh, kind of interesting that that is where the root phrase comes from. Um, and the first universities in Europe were established by the Catholic Church or monks of the Catholic Church. And the first University of Bologna in Italy was founded in 1088. So we've got institutions dating back. Almost a thousand years. Like they, they conceivably, you know, I'll be a little over a hundred years old if I make it that long when they celebrate their thousandth anniversary of the university that's crazy uh, uh no obviously no canadian institutions no north american institutions are of that uh vintage um but there are a lot of them if you if you think of canada and and spread across the country the the distribution is certainly not equal most of them are clustered into ontario southern quebec um but there there are a lot of different uh, degree granting uh, university institutions. I think 81 is the number. I think 81 is the official count. Yep. Uh, of public universities. And there are some private institutions out there that aren't included in that, that have different mandates. Uh, and, and they, you know, that number has been pretty constant for a, a, a relatively long period of time since the huge boom in new universities were formed in the 60s, 70s, but th- it does increase. Like there are new ones that come up. Uh, yeah, Yukon like, University. I, I was going to name them to, as well. But I think they're, they're still the newest uh, on the list with like two years, three years. Two or three, like yeah. Though there is talk about the other territories getting their own uh, universities. Um, 
in comparison to the colleges that they currently have. And that's something that, that uh, it, it maybe uh, maybe isn't that important of a distinction for this kind of discussion because a lot of the things about the financing of a college, as we call them here in Canada, is, is probably not that dissimilar um, from what we're going to talk about, even if the focus is less on research than it is on uh, vocational kind of teaching. But in Canada, at least, there there is a distinction between colleges and universities that may not be the same in other locations. It's actually not the same in other locations. In Canada, colleges tend to have uh, tend to be uh, diploma granting as opposed to degrees and pr focus more, not exclusively, but more on kind of skills-based learning, uh, shorter duration programs than four-year degrees, honors degrees, um, are centered around a, a huge range of different uh, technical aspects. Where I think in the States, though, that's not the case, right? A college is just any university that doesn't grant a, a PhD or doesn't have like graduate level um, program. So, you know, Americans would say they're going off to college when what they mean is they're going to get a degree uh, just at a university that doesn't give out um, graduate degrees, doesn't have grad programs. And very much the focus is research because we're talking about research funding. Um, and, and so, yeah, so we've got the historical view of universities, uh, again, almost a thousand years, uh, 81 of them in Canada. Um, I also, I recently found out, and I think this is a kind of neat little fact to add as well in terms of like the age thing. So yes, we have no thousand year old universities, uh, within Canada, but Queens university, it's charter predates Canada actually, uh, by like 15, 20 years, I believe. Yeah. It might be even more than that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just, I recently discovered that and thought it was kind of neat. But in, outside of that view, um, maybe taking a more cynical look at the uh, degree-granting institution, um, every university is essentially a business with roughly the same mission. Uh, they're in the business of knowledge, and they want to bring in more students and build more buildings and grow and do more research and bring in more students and bring in more students than the competitors. Like it's a competitive business yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, they're competing for the same resource in many ways. Multiple of the same resources are competing for students. They're competing for professors. They're competing for research dollars. Um, and how do they do that? Where do they get their funding? And basically it comes down to three major uh, funding streams. There would be the tuition that the students pay individually uh, as a fee to go to attend the school. Uh, so we're, again, have a Canadian bias to everything we say. So uh, provincial and federal funding. So <clears throat> basically public sector funding, government funding. Um, and then also, you know, um, I guess private funding. Endowments would be another big funding stream. Um, this is particularly notable, again, uh, coming from uh, Queens. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, there has been a very large endowment that made into like the national news of the engineering faculty has received $100 million. Um, That's real money. That's big, big money. Which makes me question, like, where are all the possible billionaire benefactors willing to put their names on paleo-limnology buildings. I tell you, I don't know. They're, they're you still can, waiting. You still can reach waiting. us at 
Core <laughs> Ideas Podcast. <laughs> Uh, if you if you're so inclined and you want to uh, to support in that sort of framework, but no, it's it's <laughs> jokes aside, um, that's huge money, right? Um, that's huge. That's from a single individual person, yes, single as opposed individual. to you know all of the money that all of the alumni would contribute to through smaller donations, like pales in comparison to those those large yeah. gifts. And that's this is the second gift because his previous gift of fifty million dollars went to the business school. Right, we, we said uh, th- this very generous. <laughs> I mean that that's a huge amount. Obviously, has a, a yeah. great tie to Queens, but he now has what a third of the uh, organizational units named after him. If you include business and engineering, now yeah, uh, of the faculties, yeah, because we have arts and science, education, law, and health. Okay, four to go. Yeah. He's got four to go. Yeah. If he's probably has enough to do it. Yeah. Good for him. But yeah, so those, those are pretty, um, very different, right? Like endowments are, are, you can't guarantee that those things are coming. You can't bank on someone rolling up with, with the, the truck of a hundred million to, to buy off, uh, and it's not buying those things. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, but to, provide that amount of funding to whatever it needs to be done uh, whereas tuition you know is is set by the university within some parameters some of them that they can they can very directly control others are totally out of their control and the uh, government funding from the provinces or the the uh, federal government uh, or whatever analogous there is in other locations is an interesting one because that some of that is tied to students right it's tied to how many students are being brought in and then there are other programs and research related funds and overhead and all of those kind of things that come in from other sources so that is a uh, a mixed bag on its uh, on its own so huge range of, of different places that the money 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 comes in and they're also and so i I kind of came into this thinking those are the fairly obvious ones that most people have heard of. You know, there's not re- no real curveballs coming there. Tuition, uh, p- uh, public funding, individual endowments. Uh, another one I did not realize how big a chunk of the pie it was is the investment portfolios of the universities themselves. And because I guess, you know, that, that $100 million gets added to the existing parks, it's not all going to be spent on one day and there's going to be some element of investing it and then, you know, using the returns on those investments to fund things. Um, And then kind of tied into that would be things like patent portfolios as well and licensing arrangements. There's like, so there's there's some non-obvious, I guess, income streams as well coming to these very large um, institutions. Yeah, as you said, they're businesses. They're big businesses. That's a lot of money. And so as you as you would need to have a healthy, large business, you do need a broad portfolio of uh, of income sources, some of which, you know, you you can control very tightly, some of which are are like in the investment portfolio. Um the, their investment portfolios must be just so diverse in so many different types of investments some of them being higher risk some of them being very easily liquidated in the occurrence that you know you need to build this new building or whatever you don't want to take penalties on all those things 
the number of people it must take just to manage that aspect of it or you know to you pay an external company to manage those things um just speaks to how uh, complicated the operation of of these big institutions is yeah and so i think we kind of we thought it'd be kind of fun to dive into some of the publicly released um reports kind of break down some of these numbers and we looked at both of our home institutions uh york and queens as potentially illustrative examples then we found out that the uh queen's financial statements were a little easier for non um non-accountants to read yeah it's all there like you know the, these are public institutions Publi right so it, public institutions publicly reported anybody documents. can go and find these documents it's just uh the queen's one was just the high level summaries were just a little bit easier before they dove really deep into the minutiae of the yeah, spreadsheets and, and the nice line words. items so we'll go through queen's as an example though you could imagine this applies to any and just scale up or down depending on like the relative size so like queen's is a member of the u15 so the 15 research intensive universities within Canada, or most research intensive, I guess, is like a sm an organization of the U15. They're the smallest, um, and, or one of at least one of the smallest, if not the smallest. Um, and But they still are a very large business by any measure. Uh, they, according to Wikipedia's numbers, which were a mix of like 2022 to 2020-ish kind of numbers, uh, have approximately 4,000 academic staff and uh, another th uh, academic staff, uh, 3,000 administrative staff. Of which Adam is one. Uh, of which I would be one of those, uh, uh, less than 3,000. And then a total staff of about 10,000 people, and that would include everyone. At that point, you're getting to... Custodial. To custodial staff. Physical plant to... Yeah, everybody. Probably food service operators, although that may be that, that might external. be outsourced yeah, in some depends level, on yeah. the location. Uh, but either way, everybody, everybody who comes and clocks in on Queen's campus. So about 10,000 staff in total and about 34,000 students in total. Including undergraduates. Undergrads, well, yep. With about 26,000 undergraduates and just under 6,000 uh, graduate students. Postgraduates, and then probably that includes the professional programs like the MBAs and those kind of things. Yeah. All right. So you have, yeah. So, so it's a lot. That's like 45,000 people kind of kicking around uh, a fairly small area compared to some universities in, uh, in a given time period. A few of them, um, you know, maybe overseas at the castle, uh not anymore sorry no, they <laughs> bought, they, they bought, they're, they're on the way back uh but on the two campuses you know yeah and so we pulled we we're able to find the queen's 2021 2022 financial statements online um they're probably a year newer is available somewhere but we you'd have to do a bit more digging than we did but the headline numbers that came from that budget was a total revenue in the 2021-2022 fiscal year of $1 billion. So we're in the Bs. Of and, and which, nice round numbers too, which is quite helpful yeah, nice, for uh, comparison. Of which I was kind of surprised to see that only $400 million came in from student fees. Yeah, only. I mean, it, that, that's a big number. Less than half. 
It but, is a big number, but less than half. But less than half. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, the students coming are are not the main source of funding for the university. And furthermore, less than half of annual revenue in a what well, was a quite a bad year for investments. So uh, one of the headline, one of the key sentences in the executive summary was in 2021, 2022, the university completed the year with a deficit of 3.3 million, driven primarily by weak investment returns, mitigated by careful management of expenditures. So the 2022 investment income chunk of the pie was a mere $23 million, whereas one year prior, uh, it was $258 million. So in a good year, the tuition would be down around like a third of total revenue. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's a noticeable, well, that's a noticeable uh, change in a single year and, and shows just how volatile certain cash flow uh, components of the of the gross income uh, revenue, whatever you want to call it, are are uh, in a given year. And and yeah, that that the the tuition part is, is fairly fixed, right? They're not vastly changing the number of students coming in. They're not really changing tuition at all at the moment because there's a freeze in Ontario. Um, uh, so that's sort of a baseline amount and the huge swings that can go from a pretty nice surplus in the year before uh, to a, a fairly small deficit, 3 million is, is almost nothing kind of in, in the comparison, um, are totally driven by market fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the, I guess the, um, um, the tuition aspect of it all would be like load funding, I guess, or like baseline. What, how do we do when we talk about nuclear power, like baseline load versus, uh, because yeah, you don't see swings of tenfold differences year to year in, uh, student enrollment. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I found that quite shocking because I, I realized that, you know, Yes, there has to be some uh, some money going on in terms of like these endowments and being set aside for capital projects and this, that, and the other, and everything's slow. And um, a certain some of the endowments are probably have restrictions on how much of them can be spent in order to provide a revenue stream for the university and things like that. But it was was shocked by how big a slice of the pie it wasn't even in a bad year. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the main uh, kind of statistics at the, at the biggest level. Um, and so if, uh, what else do we need to think about in this picture? We have sort of the main this inflows. Is, and this um, is very much for one university, but we imagine it scales fairly closely to others uh, in terms of, you know, like, like, some things will differ a bit. So somewhere like York, the ratio of undergraduate students to graduate students will change in differences of professional programs and things like that. But they'll have like maybe double the students. And so something like that. Yeah. But and, most and, will scale. And some more stochastic things. So right now there's a lot going on at York thinking about the need to bring the deficits that, that we're running uh, under kind of. Uh, control a little bit there i think they're in more like the 30 or 40 million dollar uh, deficit range for the last little bit 
Well, I think Kings, uh, Queens as well as much had a much worse year in the. But some of that's based on on just bad timing, right? Like, so there's capital projects that so they're they're just finishing building the Markham campus for York University, which is a hundred million dollar kind of uh, output that originally was to be funded at least in part by the provincial government in Ontario, and then they said no uh, after it had already been all approved and and the university is like well i guess we still got to do this so they had to dip into the you know into the investments to pay that thing uh, off um and and at the same time as market changes covid all those kind of um uh snowballing sort of problems um so so there are some kind of um, things that are just impossible to predict in those in those valleys but you're right whether you go to Algoma or UBC or Dal or whatever, you're talking about the same milieu of uh, of of sources of money coming into the university and 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 going out as well. Yeah, and it's the same general mix, and I guess kind of really um, emphasizes what the universities have direct control over. They don't have direct control over the return on their investment income I, you know yes on some level they do but market forces are the main thing driving those um you know you can't massively change enrollment in year to year like i mean yes you can do a steady increase of capacity in allotting spaces to grow your campus and your potential student enrollment um but really, the big one that I guess that the university has much more control over is the public sector funding, specifically the subsets of that which they're competing for in terms of research grants. Because like, you know, a student, this, the provincial and federal contribution per student is going to be fairly universal. But the amount of research dollars a particular professor brings in will... Um, very tremendously based on particular research program and the research priorities of the of the university and the type of professors that they are hiring you know like what their i guess strategic um goals and priorities are in terms of how they're allocating the capital side of the equation what facilities they're building to bring in which professors which will affect the you know which which are going to be their marquee programs in many ways. Yep. And we're talking about the whole university and all of these kind of figures, but subdivisions of the university, the faculties, the schools, however you subdivide them, have their own uh, budget, obviously, that needs to contribute. There are have departments and faculties, and there are have not departments and faculties. Um, and there's some uh, ways in which the, the the balance of those things work. Um, primarily, though, at least at York, that's a si that's a size scaling issue. The big faculties have money, and the small faculties ha have less because it is driven by uh, tuition in those cases. But it's also they have more faculty, which means they have more over you know they have more research input. Um, uh, so it, it's quite hard to be a small fish in in the pond of uh, uh, some big fishes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I see this in the day-to-day -day in terms of, like, departments and, and faculties of, like, you know, who collectively has enough money, which which are the departments that have enough money to fund a specific research administrator or administrator yep. for the department versus not. And, like, the difference between 
having someone to hand offload administrative tasks to versus not having someone to off- offload administrative tasks to is a big difference, but there's a definite cutoff in terms of how big does the uh, unit have to be in order to be able to pay someone full time. Absolutely. And you have those couple of, you know, th- those those stem from having the, those few researchers who bring together a group and bring in $15 million over three years and all of the uh, associated fees that come into the faculty as a result of the department um, and the faculty associated with that uh, as a result of that research output. So you're, you're right that those can be massive differences across the board and, and, uh, and really uh, things that can be controlled. Uh, and, and yeah, and just, that just means the unit, the units, whatever it is, whether it's the whole university, whether it's the faculty department, whatever can do more with it, because, you know, really, what do you need to do? You need to keep the lights on at the university. You need to pay all of those 10,000 staff members. Um, you need to maintain the buildings. Hopefully you get to build a few new ones. Um, although those aren't always together. A lot of times money goes to building new shiny things and not fixing the old and busted things. Um, but, but eventually you, know, you have to pay those, those debts on, on maintenance and, and, um, renewal. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it, right? You need to, li- to deliver programs. Um, so it's fairly straightforward what the out part is. If you think about a university. Yeah, well, so yeah, you need need students to keep coming, and then you have the whole, you know, how can you grow in terms of the the growth of the universities is limited by the growth of Canada in terms of like their immediate kind of student pool, and that has led in recent years to an greater reliance on international students and international fees um, was another avenue for growth. Um, that had a curveball thrown at it by COVID and there's like a bit of, uh, um, knock on effects going on. COVID absolutely visa issues associated with that and travel. Um, but, but other things too, like crazy geopolitical things, the, uh, the news of Canada officially sanctioning India because of the, uh, uh, alleged assassination of a Canadian national by Indian uh, security in, in British Columbia. Like that happened just a few months ago, a couple months ago. And there, India is the number one source, at least at York of, uh, of international students. So if it becomes harder for those students to travel to Canada already difficult, uh, in the given world, then that, that impacts the bottom dollar a lot. Yeah. And, 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 potentially very quick changes in an area that normally doesn't change very quickly. But when visas just immediately stop being processed, it's like the difference between yesterday and today can be massive. Yeah. Uh, During COVID, we had graduate students who just could not get visas and they had to delay their uh, beginning of a program. Like that knocks onto the faculty members' research, what we talked about last time. Same thing happened to faculty members. We had new hires that were hired, you know, in the run-up and were trying to move to start up their lab, uh, unfortunately, during peak lockdown, COVID lockdown, and just the doors are slammed shut. Tons of, tons of different things. So, you know, as it's very apparent that we are not experts in the realm of university finances, 
Um, but uh, even those experts can run into problems at times, as was brutally illustrated in February 2021, when uh, in Sudbury, Canada, Laurentian University, out of the blue, filed for creditor protection um, and basically... Um, Shocking. Failed overnight. Failed, in term yeah. A university. Billion-dollar enterprise. I don't know, you know, they would be a bit smaller, but several hundreds of million dollars yeah. of annual revenue easily. Probably quite a bit smaller, if you think about how just Queen's hits above its weight probably money-wise in terms of students. York probably is pretty average, but is very big. Um, but yeah, irregardless like that's a, that's a crazy like uh, it was shocking yeah just, you don't think they came out of fail. nowhere yeah i mean it probably didn't come out of nowhere if you were like really paying attention there uh like but but it didn't make any news outside of or it never made it to my world uh view. until it showed up online the morning news yeah exactly and uh and and it, it, what I don't know. I don't know if this is a good example of, of things that go bad and and the problems that could be because like it just seems like every story you hear about it is just one further insane revelation about what was going on in this place. But but it is a cautionary tale for sure. Caution tale on, on several levels. One, um, and I guess part of it is like the books are being misrepresented on some level because you know publicly. They had eight of the previous nine years that had balanced budgets. So everything was all hunky-dory until it wasn't. What happened in that ninth year? <laughs> well, I don't think the ninth year was the one. <laughs> okay. All right, then something's I think, a little I think they had on one those. deficit year. You know, the budget was balanced until uh, like, yep, yeah, no, things have been misrepresented. And international, or it was in, in COVID. In February 2021, and I guess the House of Cards came toppling down in some regard. And uh, yeah, in hindsight, I think it may have been unnecessary. Like, or some of the reports after the fact that you know jumped the gun a little bit on the the, the creditor protection aspect of things. They should have gone gone at that. There were option there were theoretical options to talk to the problems beforehand. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that's like the the big news story of university finances over that I can ever remember. Oh yeah, and and hopefully it remains that way. Like we don't want universities failing. There are there are lots of reasons why that's bad. There are many employees who are out of work and had to find other things. There are many students whose programs just boop. You can't finish this program. It doesn't exist anymore. We don't have any faculty teaching it. There were not that many students, including the like. Northern a medicine. few of the, f the uh, and a few of the French language uh, programs that are just not offered in other locations, um, like those are real life altering for not the chartered accountant who ran that place or the university president or any of the academic staff. Like for the the students who thought they were just going there to to get their degree, you know, in this program they were interested in. So, and even on a bigger scale, like life altering for people of that region writ large in terms of, you know, the whole, one of the main pulls of Laurentian is like gateway, you know, university at the gateway to the North, you know, that had a real focus on educating people of the North. So they didn't have to necessarily travel to 
the Yorks and Torontos. For sure. Or collect from, keep, yeah, keep collect from local. more northern locations. Yeah. Like, it can't, you know, northern Ontario is so vast. Sudbury is arguably in northern Ontario, but like it well, collects it, from I, I, many of the That's why I said gateway to the north. That's the city motto, isn't it? Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Because where are you going to go next? Sault Ste. Marie? Alcoma's tiny. Nipissing is, is no different. And then Lakehead is a heck of a long way away. So, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting example. Um, I think there's probably still little bits to come out of that story, even though if it has faded from from the regular discussion uh, day to day. But uh, yeah. Okay, it'll have to come out in some way because Laurentian has restructured. It's continuing in a diminished form. Yeah, they didn't close. There's still a university yeah. there. Yeah, but, uh, um, you know, there was a financial earthquake and uh, everything changed overnight for a lot of people. Just just another example that they're they're big corporations, you know, there's lots of things going on there. York is in the billions of dollars, you know, a couple billion dollar kind of uh, annual budget. And, and in a period of, of seems like a bit of growth uh, with this new campus, at least, which is meant to reach, uh, you know, the, the goal of that is to reach into a different area and, and have students who want to remain in Markham, for example, but take very different programs from um, what our Keele campus or our Glendon campus uh, provide. But that's a gamble, putting that much money into uh, a university uh, building, but campus that the nearest university that they're competing with is York University, right? <laughs> like, like, why would they not go to to main campus, to Keele campus? I guess maybe you Scarborough is is closer, but close. Maybe they're competing with Scarborough. Maybe that's the goal. Um, and it's probably very, very close. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you do need to think about that kind of diversification and the programs and what students want. And that's the other thing that I find is interesting is that a lot of the, the kind of programming, it changes quite a bit, like what people are interested in, where, which programs are going to be popular and bring intuition and, and, uh, it changes with the, the news, with the, um, interests of, of just population. Um, yeah, complicated. Learn a code. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, there's a lot of those kind of, you, technical kind of aspects at, at uh, plan for Markham and meant to be very urban and, and all those things. We'll see. It's supposed to open next year. So, uh, yeah, I guess I don't think we have too many more things to wrap up. It's just very interesting in terms of, again, the university being big corporations uh, with many, many things outside of the university's control in terms of uh, the various pieces of the pie. And I think one that comes up periodically in the, in the news quite often in relation to York, actually, is um, the, uh, you know, labor contracts, labor yes, contracts, labor. and things coming to a head in a period of rapid inflation and uh, contracts not keeping up with um, the cost of living, which we talked about in reference to students in particular, but affects everybody on some level. And then, you know, at least provin provincially is more complicated by there being a, a freeze on public sector uh, contracts over the past few years or not a, not a total free, like I guess a 1% limit in a period of uh, 
where inflation is running several times that um, and things come to a head. They do. And and they will, especially as the uh, uh, judgment has been that 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 piece of legislation was not um, legal or in good faith. I, I don't sure what the, the legal terminology is, but but has basically been struck down. So for those of you not familiar in Ontario, there has been this provincial legislation that uh, public sector salaries couldn't increase by more than 1% per annum um, for, I don't know, what, like the last five years, something like that? Something Some, like that? Uh, I don't know if it's a full five years, but most most of the current term. Yeah. And, uh, and that has meant that even if you're negotiating a new collective agreement, which obviously happens usually on three-year cycles, uh, that that there was no salary increases beyond that. And however, that's been struck down. So there's a, a big push at a lot of institutions to retroactively um, negotiate salary increases over those time periods. And some of that are done within the bounds of new collective agreements. So like at York, our our faculty is in the process of starting the next collective bargaining cycle and will be in, in part of that. And others, it's just ad hoc and, and being done in addition. And that might be important for some unions, but others that, that may not be as critical as um, as some other aspects of, of negotiating. There's often four or five different unions operating on a university campus, uh, representing their members and their members only, obviously, uh, trying to get the best deal and uh, conditions for them, whatever those priorities are for that group. So as a university, like negotiating with them is, is an enormous job. Um, one thing we did, uh, want to make a note of it's actually with reference to a podcast from two episodes ago, but uh, has come to my attention. Perhaps this was the, already the case when we recorded that episode and we just didn't think about it. But when we were talking about scholarships, uh, fellowships and scholarships for graduate students and postdoctoral um, fellows, we were talking about all the different examples that there are. And one of the ones we referred to are the uh, postdocs for Northern Research, uh, postdocs and scholarships for northern research that the weston foundation uh uh provides and is generous enough to uh support and has for many years back to when i was a, a postdoc for sure and i think they started fairly late in my grad career um, but they're even more generous now the amount has uh at some point recently gone up so the master's level award remains the same and the doctoral awards, which was, are, would, a number there. Oh, 20,000 uh, for the master's and the doctoral awards are now 120,000 over three years or 40,000 a year. And I don't remember what they were before. They may have been the same. They may have been 20 grand. I'm not sure if they doubled them or not. Anyway, th that's, that's pretty good. Uh, and the postdocs, which were 40,000 are now 55,000 uh, over for two up to two years. So pretty significant increases there in uh, as a per percentage, um, which is awesome. So big round of applause uh, to the Weston. There's been a lot of discussion, as we talked about, regarding uh, the need to increase those because many awards far older than this fellowship and scholarship program haven't increased in decades. Uh, and, and, you know, this is more in line with... with um, what it, it really takes to train high quality personnel. So good job. Absolutely. 
Anything in the mailbag this week? Um, give me once checking to wrestle around in it. Um, no, we have no mail okay. once again, but that's all right. okay. That's, that's okay. all right. If you do want to send us mail, please go ahead. Um, but again, this is, uh, thanks again for listening to Core Ideas, the Paleo Luminology podcast. If you have a question or a comment or perhaps a suggestion for a future show. Yeah, we only have, I think, one episode left in this arc. So we're, we're taking ideas. The clock is ticking, folks. Sometime in, in March. We'll be <laughs> Sooner than that. Sooner than Sooner that. Sooner than that. We have it mapped out already. Yeah. Um, but uh, please send us a note. All right. And you can do so by sending us an email to coreideaspodcast at gmail.com or the Mastodon handle is at coreideaspaleo at mastodon.social. That's uh, correct. Abandoned Twitter. Um, but but you can still find kind of an archive, I guess, there at Core Ideas Paleo, and maybe we check in from time to time, but uh, not not actively. We read everything you send us eventually. <laughs> an archive of our past episodes and show notes is maintained on our website at coreideas.hsyorski.ca. Uh, um, and the easiest way to find that link, rather than spell it out, is to pull up our Mastodon bio. And if you're so inclined, you can give us a rating. You can subscribe, leave us a comment. We'd love those on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. Those five-star ratings are great. But to be honest, we don't get many and we don't care all that much because we're just doing this for fun. We're a pair of nerds. Um, and that's it for today. Um, but we'll be back soon to explore how money fuels academic research in more detail, sticking to our ethos of pure knowledge without the economy, even when talking about the economy of knowledge. Mm-hmm.